Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 263. This episode, I welcome back my co-host onto the podcast, the product and brand development lead at Football Fitness Federation, Jordan Tyra. We met up to met up virtually to discuss our takeaways from the Training Ground Guru Conference, where there were some brilliant insights into different roles at clubs, different views and perspectives from different um, people involved at football clubs, from directors to, we heard a little bit from performance staff, um, all sorts of different people at, at the event, analysts, people from different sports as well. So a really, really good event in Manchester. And we thought we'd use this episode as a chance to catch up properly and see what we both thought of it, what some of our takeaways were and discuss some of the key points raised. So this is what we're going to use this episode for. We mentioned at the start of the episode, we are hunting for a name for a subtitle for these episodes that we are going to be doing. We're not going to do them on a weekly basis. We're going to do them when we see fit, whether it's after a podcast with a guest that we think we can do a follow-up one from that we did with Sean Cumming. Um, or whether we've been to an event like this and we feel like we've got a few things to discuss. So we'll pick them We'll pick them in a timely way. We won't be doing them all the time. The guest episodes, the weekly guest episodes will still be coming as they are at the moment on a weekly basis. But we will be dropping a few episodes in with Jordan and I just discussing a few different points as we do in this episode. But we are going to be looking for a name. So we're going to put it out on socials. We've got a few that we've come up with so far. Uh, it might give you a bit of a giggle as it did with us. But I'd love to hear your views on that as well. If you've got any ideas for a name for these episodes, we will put it out there and we will pick the best one and we will run with them probably the next time that we are going to be doing one of these episodes. So keep an eye out over on social media for that. Just a quick mention of our upcoming networking event. On Wednesday the 8th of November from 6 till 9pm, we're going to be at Football Strength Condition and Rehabilitation in Battersea for an evening of networking. We've got an incredible lineup of speakers. Sam Portland, founder of Speed by Sportland, is alongside Sam Peeps, who's strength conditioning coach. Both amazing practitioners, both been on the podcast before, so go and check out the episodes with them. Um, tickets are still available for this event, so make sure you go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and then networking events. If you are planning on coming with a colleague, a family member, just somebody else, there is an option of purchasing two tickets in one go and that does give you a little bit extra discount on those tickets as well so make sure to check that out but hopefully we will see you there a big thank you to our sponsors the good prep the good prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh ready to eat chef cooked meals straight to your door they offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals current activity level and schedule the good prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also a huge thank you to Hytro. 
Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel, or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And a big, big thank you to Rezl doing some incredible work in the world of VR. Make sure to check them out at Rezl over on social media. Let's get into episode 263 with the product and brand development lead at Football Fitness Federation, Jordan Tyra. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to welcome back my co-host to the podcast. We've had some really good feedback from our previous episode, which we weren't sure how it was going to go down. The, the viewing figures are up, Jordan, and we've got some good feedback, so I had to get you back on. People like, obviously, hearing us. They like hearing us talk <laughs> crap, basically. So, yeah, welcome it. back. No, good to be back. Yeah, good to be back. I'm glad I've not been uh, given the boot yet. We've basically spent the last like 30 minutes trying to get a name for this section of the podcast. So just to update everyone, we are going to be continuing with the weekly episodes with guests, but we are going to do some of these episodes between Jordan and I, where we maybe pick a few topics, we reflect on things that have gone on recently, maybe even certain podcasts that we've done recently, or conferences like we're going to get into in a second that we've been to or courses we've been on or the rest of it. So that is the plan going forward. We are going to post over on socials. We've just come up with some cracking names for this section of the podcast. If you're listening to this episode, go on to the Twitter, go on to um, well, probably, probably the Twitter or LinkedIn and let us know what you think because we've got some good names already, but I'm pretty sure the listeners could come up with something even better. Uh, yeah. So go and let us know what you think. <laughs> Could we'll release yeah, them very soon. We'll release them yeah. soon. Um, well, Jordan, let's let's kick things off. We've had we obviously met up last week and in Manchester for the Training Ground Guru conference. I did both days at the event, and then you obviously joined me on the Tuesday. So we're just gonna have a little chat on what we took away from it, some of the things we've spoke about already, and then probably some things that we haven't. So what was some of the initial reflections from yourself on that five-hour drive back to Bournemouth? <laughs> yeah, lots of time in the car to reflect. Um, I mean, I think overall it was a it was a cracking event. You know, I think the good thing with this industry is you, you do go to a lot of events and, and and network and conference, but it was a it was a really good event, some excellent speakers. And I what I liked about it as well was it was from all walks of life. So you had coaches there, analysts there, you know, sports scientists, physios, you, you know, you, academy directors, you name it. You kind of had it 
all there, so which is quite nice because you know if you spend time at a Basies conference or the UKSA and football conference or the UKS, you know we're all similar people in the same room. So yeah, it was nice to just kind of bounce ideas off people and see people from you know, slightly different walk of life and get their views on things. So that was really good, and I thought the, sp- the speak the speakers were really good, the talks were really good, some of the presentations were really good as well. But um, I think what was what was cool was the fact that you know you essentially closed closed the uh, the whole conference conference down at the end with the uh, round table discussion with you know three absolute you know behemoths of uh, of the industry um so you know from where football fitness federation started i think it was pretty cool to you must have felt it as well to see that you know you you've got dave carroll and tony strudwick and tom little um on a round table discussion talking about kind of the future athlete and and what the future of sports science and sports performance looks like given the fact that they've kind of seen the evolution of it over the last 20 plus years so that was that was really cool to see um and it it i came away really like infused that football fitness federation's got you know a big big say in what we're trying to do and how we're trying to um, help the industry out and actually the fact it goes wider than maybe just you know physical performance and, and football fitness you know training gang guru which are you know they're a massive company themselves and are looking at everything which goes into football clubs you know, and we're friends with Training Grand Guru. We spoke to many times, but the fact that they're, you know, trying to you know, branch out and reach out to to us guys, and you have you been on stage with them, I think it's really cool because it just shows that there is a want and there is a need for people to find out a bit more in depth stuff in terms of performance support and everything that those guys were talking about on stage. And I thought you did a really good job. So, you know, and there's some of the stuff stuff they shared again it was was really insightful as it always is with those three when they get together. So. um yeah, a, a good. I mean, like you, like you said, I was only there on Tuesday, but I took loads from it, and definitely, definitely worth the the long trip up. Yeah, I agree. I think it was really interesting. I think the first day was the interesting side of it was hearing from practitioners or people in different, completely different roles. So one of the interesting ones earlier on on, on day one was with the it was like a round table with the directors of football and Dan Ashworth was one of them. And I thought that was really interesting talking about we spoke about this a lot with with practitioners going into new roles at different clubs and the approach they take, whether you're going sort of gung-ho and try and change everything, whether you stand back and and watch for a certain number of weeks and then start trying like gradually just make changes and, and put your your spin on things. And that's kind of what he spoke about. He's obviously had very different jobs recently at different um, establishments in terms of the FA, Newcastle, Brighton. And I thought it was really interesting to hear his take on that there isn't one way. There isn't like a blueprint of this is what you do when you go into a role. And I think we can apply that as coaches as well. And even working with players, there isn't one way. It's, It's getting the, it's sort of finding out what the temperature is. It's, getting the feel of what's going on, the culture and everything that goes into that. Because obviously culture is a word that's all used a lot and a lot, isn't it? But what yeah. it actually breaks down to, you've got to get the feel of what's going on. And I thought he did that brilliantly. Um, and yeah, that was one that that really um, impressed me on that first day. And then I think the other one that was really interesting was um, the presentation from Red Bull. Yeah. And obviously completely different sport very, very data-driven. And the complex nature of that data was summarised brilliantly in that presentation because um, I think it was Nick, Nick his name, 
and he presented on if you were to simply look on how to win a race with taking away all sort of context, he did a sort of a graph on this is what you do, this is how many times you'd stop or how many times you'd pit, and then that would lead to success. And then he applied context onto that on another graph. And obviously it just went, there was just yeah. stuff everywhere. And that's essentially what we we're dealing with, isn't it? We were dealing with very context-driven um, scenarios that we've got to adapt to. And yeah. again, even though it's a very, very different sport, there was a lot of crossovers and takeaways on what we need to do as practitioners to to lead to some sort of success with players. Yeah. And I think you spot on because when we were speaking as we were walking to the event um, and your reflections on on how, you know, data driven, a lot of the presentations were, were very data heavy and speaking about AI and stuff like that. And and we we're almost skeptical is not the right word because we can we can all accept that AI is going to have a big part to play in things because it's going to streamline processes. We know that we know that data is a huge part of of sports and performance. Again, we know that um, you know, and the three guys you were doing the roundtable discussion with, they'll tell you that and how data has evolved over the last decade or two. Um, but you can never account for the context. You know, you can get all the hydration scores, wellness scores, you know, counter movement jump scores in the morning. You could even do like, you know, whatever you want to do. But if a player comes in and they've got a newborn who was crying all night, you, you, you know, you could have applied everything you want, but the context is, is going to change things. And, you know, there's, there's always things because of human beings at the end of the day, we're not robots. And I know AI and I know, Data science is a massive part of the sports now, not just football. Let's go wider than that as well. Um, but we 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 are guilty sometimes of of seeing the the flashing lights and going, oh look, new software, new this, new that, the other. And um, at the end of the day, it's really good to apply some of that stuff if it helps inform practice. But you just got to remember, you've got you know, essentially got eleven players running around a football pitch chasing a bag of wind, trying to kick it into the net. You know, so it, it has got to be kept in, in mind. And I liked the fact that the second day seemed to tie a lot of that data stuff in when they were talking about academies and experiences of developing and um, learning to lose and learning to fail and, and growing as a person. Because then he kind of got both sides. It was really like human development on the, on the second day and from the sounds of it really kind of data driven on the first day and what the industry can, can change towards and just sport and performance in general. So... Yeah, interesting. Lots of thought-provoking stuff, that's for sure. That's for sure. I think you're right in that the relationships, again, a topic we've covered again and again and again. You heard it mentioned loads of times in that as well, especially with academy players, but it's 100% applicable for first-team players as well, mm. that, yes, we can be informed by data, whatever that data is, but essentially it's human being interacting with human being and you see it, don't you, with a lot of professionals talking, probably more so when they retire, on the importance of relationships throughout the careers. I know as a big Man United fan, you'll be, sorry, a Liverpool fan, you'll, you'll <laughs> watch, you know, what's the um, David Beckham yeah. documentary. And he obviously speaks about Fergie, he speaks about some yeah. of the influences earlier on in his career. If that was just purely data-driven that, and you remove all that, like how much of an impact would that have had? Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. massive, I think. And that's what was underlined by the likes of Per Mertesacker, by Nick Cox at Man United. They were constantly talking about creating environments for players to, well, not players, for humans, for kids to thrive and develop. Yeah. And I think that was that was the important bit, wasn't it? 
Yeah, hundred percent, and that's the that's the thing. Like you say, that we've got to keep in, in mind that these are human beings, young kids with with hopes and dreams. And I think, yeah, I, I took a lot from from some of the stuff. Certainly, talk about the academies because majority of my background is in the academy, so I've got a, I've got a big interest in it. But yeah, Nick Cox was spoke really well, and I liked what he said in terms of. Um, so he's academy director at Man United. For those who don't know, and he spoke about his background. Um, and I came from Watford, Sheffield United, and then moved across to United. And I thought he spoke, and it's just a point you said earlier, that each club was very, very different. And he spoke about yeah. the you know demographic of being at Watford and, and you know, a nice area to live, um, you know, leafy green kind of Hertfordshire area. Um, Sheffield United, very, you know, inner city Sheffield, football mad city, rivalry with Wednesday. And, you know, it was, you had to win. There was real pressure on and all that sort of stuff. And then, you go up to Manchester, which I really like the fact he was speaking about, um, you know, Man United are a global brand, as he said, and we all know who they are. Um, but bigger than the football, there's, you know, opportunities and experiences for kids who wouldn't ever really receive that if they weren't in the academy. Um, you know, I used to live in Manchester. I know anyone who's been or, you know, lived in Manchester, know there's the big areas of, of poverty in Manchester. And that's what Nick was speaking about. And there's kids coming from, you know, neighbourhoods who, who've got very little opportunity, very talented footballers and, and get into Man United Academy and they're going on a plane for the first time on a, on a pre-season tour or an end-of-season tour, you know, trying foods that they wouldn't usually try um, in canteens or getting nutrition lessons where the reality is their parents might not be able to afford some of that food that, you know, they're, they're talking about. Um, and the experience is bigger than the football. I really... I really like that. I really buy into that. And I think it's, you know, what Nick kind of finished his presentation on was really powerful where he said we need to actually champion um, youth developers um, and what we are doing as academies because it's too often you do see it. It's, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a bugbear of mind that majority of, of practitioners will come in and they will want to come in at the starting roles. They're always starting roles in an academy workup get to a first team level and stay at first team level. It's the, it's the typical trajectory of people's career. And there's not enough emphasis on having proper youth developers in academies. And again, that partly part of the blame is, is on clubs because salaries and work-life balance and things for you know, foundation phase roles, youth development phase roles are typically really hard. Uh, eat a lot of evening works, you know, a lot of twelve-hour days. Whereas a first-team scenario, money's much better. Sometimes you can be done by half three, four o'clock. You know those. So the glitz and glam is obviously the first team, but there's not enough, in my opinion, and clearly what Nick was saying that there's not enough people who are championing proper youth developers who see young people and want to change, change them into into really, you know, outstanding young adults and hopefully onto into full adults as well. So. That was really good to see. And then that was then followed on by um, Jonathan, wasn't it? And Jonathan and Pierre Mertzaka, um, so uh, academy manager at Wolves and uh, academy manager at Arsenal, respectively. So speaking of academies, you know, you know like they, they kind of followed it on and said that we're trying to give experiences as well as, um, you know, create footballers. And I liked that because it was... You know, typically, if, if you've got, you know, big clubs like Wolves and Arsenal and you've got their academy managers on stage, people want to know what's the secret, how are you getting players through? You know, you're producing these amazing players, you know, how are you getting them through? But there was very little emphasis on 
the players and how we're trying to get them through and how we're trying to develop them to be a first team standard. It was more about what experiences we're trying to give them. We're trying to ship players out on loan. We need to tweak the games program at a Premier League two level to get them playing men's football or to get them playing men's teams. And you know, and and it became more of the holistic approach. And that was refreshing to hear because you know anyone working in in an academy will know it's full on. They just got the blinkers on sometimes. It's like, we need to get him through his scholarship decisions coming up, pro pro deal decisions are coming up. You know, is he going to get a scholar or is he injured or is that going to affect it? And it's just those constant, you know, um, merry-go-round of of decisions and things really. So just to see that holistic picture was really, really refreshing. I don't know, did you feel the same? Do you think they were talking that way? A hundred percent. And I think anyone that's worked with academy players, that has to be where your passion lies, isn't it? Like, I think the thing that I just wanted to pick up on what you mentioned before about what Nick Cox was talking about, about the identities of different clubs. And mm-hmm. they can all be very different, but they need to be celebrated in a way. And I think yeah. you get caught, and I've been guilty of it, this before, where you'll be at a club and you'll be like, well, this club does it that way. And mm-hmm. you'll try and apply it to yours. And there's definitely lessons to be taken from different environments and different clubs. But I think some of the things that I took from him was that Let's celebrate what we've got and really this identity that we've got. And, and again, that word, this culture that we've got, let's build this. And then you see it at a first team level, don't you? When like you, you just mentioned some of the different clubs that he was at there and the differences in the circumstance of, of those individual clubs. And I think that's a big, yeah. big one for me is that as a practitioner, okay, you don't have the facilities of X, Y, and Z, those clubs, but what can you do? And also, again, it ties into the experiences that you're creating for players. I still speak to players now that when we had essentially a pitch to do an S&C session, no equipment whatsoever, and they probably took a hell of a lot from that at that time, but they also relate on it as like a fond memory. Yeah. And there's, there's still plenty that you can do. In those circumstances, I spoke to you mentioned Dave before. Dave Caroline tells a brilliant story about, I think he might have even mentioned it on the first podcast that we ever did, was uh, one of the clubs he was at. They gave him the, he, he talked about this, I, don't, I can't remember if you were there or not at the conference, about getting a um, work car. Oh, yeah, when, yeah. When they gave him the car, it was a van and it was full of kit in the back and that was essentially the, the gym and that's what he had to work with. But that... If you look at it from a player's perspective, we don't need a lot to develop players. The, the yeah. fancy facilities and stuff that are going to be popping up in places like down there soon and all the rest of it, they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. as a coach, you can use very little and you can still get some really quality work done. And I know that, and this ties in again with what Nick was saying about celebrating some of these programs. There's some brilliant work being done with academy players, with minimal equipment, minimal sort of financial backing and all the rest of it. And that's and it's creating brilliant players. Like you, you, we talked there about Man United. There's a lot of players coming through the academy at Man United, coming up through local clubs in the area that are having to fundraise and do all the things that yeah. these local amateur clubs have to do to stay alive, essentially. And it's creating these players that are going on to play international football and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I think that's that's so important. Um, a massive takeaway for me on that one in terms of that environment. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And 
you're right like yeah just talking on on, on demographics and things and like you realizing it i think as a practitioner as well you know i've moved around a fair bit i've worked at a few clubs so you you kind of go oh yeah i know this works and like you say you, you automatically start a new role and you think well, well why don't i try and apply that but you know i can just think of two clubs off the top of my head you know Notts county league two at the time we're very proud of their heritage oldest you know football league club in the world before they dropped out of the football league unfortunately but um you know demographic was was inner city nottingham kids um who yeah tech the technic technically the best players in the city would probably go to forest but i remember the the crop of players that we had in the academy when i was there that most of them had run through brick walls for you you know and you really like you say, you some of the best development gets done with them because of their attitude and, and what they want to do. And some of them are doing really, really well now. Some of the lads we had there, you know, they're playing championship international football now. Um, and you kind of go in, yeah, fair play. Um, you didn't need the fancy facilities. You know, Notts County, we literally had Meadow Lane, didn't have a training ground at the time. Um, and the gym was two old squash courts converted, you know, and, and you, you know, I think anyone, if you took a Cat 1 player, who'd only ever spent, you know, all his time in a Cat 1 and dropped him in that facility, he'd look at it and go, you know, if you raised eyebrows, you know, what is this? But the reality is you can still get results, but that's because you know who you've got. And that comes back to that relationship thing we talked about earlier. You, you know those players, you know where they're coming from, you know their story. And if you are, again, it ties in quite nicely. If you are just behind, hiding behind a spreadsheet and you're doing, you know, let's say your daily wellness is on the PMA or whatever it whatever system you want to use um, and you go, oh, okay, they're this, that, the other, and you don't speak to them and then you go in and get in the gym or you can do that, but then you can go speak to them, actually have a bit, bit of time with them, a bit of an, a bit of a natter and find out a bit about them, what makes them tick, that relationship builds and then you know a bit more about them, you know about the demographic, you know about the club's history, you know about what their drives them. The development's just always going to be better in that, in that scenario. Yeah. So when we're talking about a club's, heritage and, and history and where it is in the country and everything that goes into it there's it, it really is important stuff um but like i say that stuff that we were doing there might not apply to a bournemouth you know or southampton or wherever else because it's a different demographic um yeah leafy green down on the down the south coast it's nice you've got different types of player but technically we've got some outstanding players down here but i i know that there's some some of the players who we had at not counted time that would, would run over some of the, the lads down here just through hard will and desire alone um mm. and technically whether it's good no but yeah, i just know their attitude and things from where they came from and their background made them made them that way so um i think that was really important uh, and i think that's what you know both both nick pear and jonathan to be fair they were talking about buying into the club you're at because as the practitioner it does matter um, you, you've got to, like you say, culture is a big part of football. You have got to embrace it. Um, the word does get thrown around a lot and it is a bit of a bugbear of mine that you're like, oh, this is our culture. We have these big three key phrases on, you know, a badge or on the wall and we all try and stick to these, but then, you know, you scratch beneath the surface and it's still the same. We're just trying to produce players. We're just trying to get players through. We don't really care and all that sort of stuff. So, um some clubs do it really well and they do abide by their culture. Some clubs is a bit more of just a name on the wall, as far as I can tell. So, or a word on the wall, rather. So, yeah, it, it really, like, as you can see, it, it provoked loads of loads of thoughts, just just kind of driving away. And um, when you think of the grand picture and the big picture of academy football, there's a lot more that goes into it than just we're trying to get a talented footballer and turn them into a professional. There's, there's a lot more that goes into that. 
One of the most satisfying things most recently from our online community is the fact that we've got some of our community members to present for our community members through webinars. And the last two that we've uploaded, including one from this week, have both been from community members. The first of which from Premier League Academy physio Aaron Hull. Aaron presented on low considerations for academy footballers. He covered common load activities for academy players, growth, maturation, risk, factor screening, and also why load matters for academy players as well. So that is available to watch in the video section of the community. And this week, we have uploaded a brand new webinar by Philadelphia Union sports scientist, Walter Grandes. Walter's an absolute whiz when it comes to data, um, when it comes to preparing data and also reporting data. So he's done a brilliant presentation for us on measuring, evaluating, and operationalizing, easy for me to say, data in sports science. He covered how to measure what matters, which we talk about a lot, finding out what actually matters, how to prepare data, how data informs training design, and also reporting data to other staff members as well. So both of those webinars are available to watch right now by going to the community page and going to the video section if you're already a member. If you're not already a member, the good news is if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there, you'll get a free 30-day access to the community so you can check out both of those webinars plus everything else that is on there for 30 days. After your 30 days, when you become a full member of the community, you also get invited into our members' WhatsApp group as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and go and check out those webinars plus all the other amazing content that's on there. Here's part two of the podcast with Jordan Tyra. I think a really interesting point you brought up before was the whole looking more from the practitioner side now is the um, the wage and I suppose mm. the the career path that is that well, I was going to say that is created. I don't think it necessarily is created because I think, like you mentioned before, the the path that's a lot of people have trodden already is to go from academy and end up in first team. So, what do you think needs to happen in terms of encouraging? So, because we could probably name a large number of elite level academy developers that are either still at academy mm. or majority have probably gone up to first team and obviously mm. that now that now that slot has been lost at the academy and their their attributes their skills have been taken away from the academy so what do you think needs to happen with that it's yeah that's a this would be a this would be an hour debate in itself probably more to be honest um <laughs> but it it you almost need to to just restructure a little bit because um inevitably if you have a if you started an academy now with no one in place and you had a brand new academy and you know it was where it's going to fill these roles because the pressure is the, the first team naturally you know that's where the money comes in from the club and how the first team perform um that's where the majority of the wages are going to go that's where the majority of the practitioners are going to go and that's where inevitably people are going to want to work because wages are higher um, and work-life balance and things like that and et cetera um, might be slightly better. The, the problem would be it takes a brave club to go, actually, we're going to invest in our youth development. And there were some good stories on the day of, of how clubs were doing it. Um, 
forgotten right now. I think he was when when Nick was talking about Watford and budgets were being slashed and they were very close to administration. Yeah, that's right. And they said, no, we're not going to cut the youth development budget because that is a huge part of this club. And actually, we rely on players coming through um, from our academy. And I think that is where, you know, if you are ultimately it's a results-driven uh, business, we know that. And if you are not producing players, budgets get taken away and budgets get taken away. But to try and redress it overnight, it's a, it's a, it's a decade-plus long process to try and get those practitioners in there but and keep them there because like you say the the wage is going to be higher inevitably family pressures and what we have going on in our own lives as practitioners is going to dictate what we do in our career um you know exactly what happened to me you know i, I loved working in academies i love working in academies that's why i took the bournemouth job as well because everything they're doing on, on biobanded and growth and maturation i absolutely buy into it i love it and i really wanted to be involved in that kind of really in-depth youth development role um but a lot of it was evening works my missus had moved down for us so my you know my situation at home meant i wasn't seeing my missus as, a, as we touched on, on on the previous podcast i don't need to go over it all again but i needed to make a change in order to, to be for my family so people have their external pressures outside of football um and obviously that's then gonna dictate what they want to achieve but if clubs could be brave and say actually we see your value as a youth developer let's just call it that um how can we work to keep you in that role because we see the impact you have on young players and how you know how amazing you are at developing them and and kind of bringing the best out of them that's when clubs will really start to thrive and i think you'll see better products in the in the long run um long term but it it's Oh God, there's so many factors that go into it. Um, like you say, context gets applied and it, it it's very, very different. Um, but I think it was it was nice going back to the training and guru um kind of kind of conference and, and the speeches that were going on, that when the, the best youth developers were the ones who kept the context in mind and like I say, kept demographics in mind or kept the experiences in mind. And when they um kind of reflect on their process as an academy as a whole, they appreciate that not every player is going to make it through the system. They appreciate that these players who are being developed as young people are developing themselves outside of football as well. And so the whole thing just snowballs because the, the more essentially alumni you get that come through an academy, even if they don't go on to the first team, they go on to a different club or they drop out of football, the better the buzz is around that academy, the more people who praise it, the more people who say, what an amazing academy. The club then realises we've got a really good academy. We want to invest in the academy. People want to then work in the academy and then it just snowballs and then you get the best youth developers in that academy. But if your process isn't right to develop good footballers, good human beings as well in the academy in the first place and you just try and just, you know, literally trying to thread the needle from miles away in terms of that percentage of getting players through into a first team environment. And that's all you're focused on. And all these other people are dropping off by the wayside and, you know, turn out they don't actually like, you know, you know, they reflect on their academy journey as a player and they go, I didn't enjoy that anymore because it just felt like I was, I was in the meat grinder sort of thing. You either get a reputation or, or it just becomes any other academy in, in the country. And, and that's where, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a huge topic. We, we spoke about it. We spoke, you know, there's been, 
documents, uh, uh, documentaries made on it. You know, the Crystal Palace one highlighted it. The, the Race to the Bottom documentary a few years ago now um, highlighted it really well. And if people haven't heard of that, Google it. It was really, really good. I remember speaking about that a while ago. But academies have a brilliant opportunities to properly develop young people, um, not just footballers. Uh, and it it takes brave clubs to then invest in those those coaches and practitioners to help help do that. But like I say, it's a snowball process. Once you start it, it, it essentially funds itself. You can look at some of the models of, of the best academies in the country um, and they're self-funding. You know, Chelsea's yeah. always a great example. They sell so many ta- so many talented players on that that money just comes back into the academy and it gets better and better and better and better and better. So when you are starting to look at budgets, well, actually, if you have a really successful producing academy, it becomes self-funding and it, it can almost then just grow and become better and better and better. So, yeah, uh, I've tried to condense a lot there, but that's still way more you could go, you know, way more rabbit holes you could jump down. So that's just my, that's an insight into my mind there, right? <laughs> so, yeah, apologies. Well, that's for what this. we're doing on this. These are therapy yeah. sessions. So we're just getting everything out there. Um, no, I think that's really interesting. I think that in terms of, opportunities as well i think it, again it, i think it was nick that mentioned getting players through to first team the opportunities then come for a number of different reasons either the team is underperforming yeah. and you'll put an academy player in um i think some of the other circumstances that he mentioned were maybe towards the end of the season where it doesn't really mean anything and yeah. what was the other ones that you said can you remember Injury crisis as well. Injury like, crisis. Yeah, like a, you know, lack of left backs in the first team, drag the 23s player up and just hope he does all right. And then he does really well. And then lo and behold, he starts the next five games. Yeah, that sort of yeah. thing. So. Then the other one, I suppose, which you've seen at a lot of clubs is financial issues. So kind of what you mentioned before about what he was talking about with Watford. But if a club's in at financial strain and you've got to sell off a lot of first team players then academy players could get the chance. Mm. Um and I, I suppose the only reason I raised that is because that, again, for me, underlines the importance of having these developers at that level so players are ready. They're ready mm. to step up. Because if you do have a circumstance where, first, say it's the financial one and a lot of first-team players have gone, then your academy players are there, but they're not ready. Yeah. Then, well, one, it's probably putting them at a risk to a certain point, whether that's reputation or whether that's actually physically as well because they're yeah. not ready to play. Yeah. Um, or they're just not going to thrive. They're not going to take advantage of that um, that scenario and that that position that they've been put in. So I think that just underlines it again. And I, I agree with you. I'd love to see clubs be brave on it, to say, like, we have got this absolutely elite-level developer in our academy. We're going to reward them financially, um, I mean, to the person, to the practitioner, and then we're going to give them... Not not give them the world because we touched on that before. Like you can develop in, you don't have to have everything under the sun to develop the players, but they need to back them. And I think that will be really refreshing and nice to see for clubs to do that. And, and not every club's going to do it. Obviously, it's a, it's a results based business. We know that. But to see some more clubs do that, I think will be really refreshing. Yeah, hundred percent. And you can go wider than that as well. Um, in terms of just investing in the staff, um, because. We know, and I'm sure hopefully there's a lot of people listening to this who are based in academy, maybe working in the foundation phase or the youth development phase or have done in the past. Um, or if they're a Cat 3 academy 
Um, they are the only person for the academy as a, as a sports scientist or strength and conditioning coach, sometimes physio, sometimes sports therapist, analyst, you name it. Um, and essentially, you're, you're spread way too thin. So, you know, if you're responsible for, which I, which I have been for 120, 130 odd players in an academy and their physical development, and you've got a, a couple of nights a week to try and do it whilst having done, you know, the professional development phase all through the day as well, you're not, you're not going to give those players the best opportunities. Um, you're not going to give them your time. You know, when you've got, a, you might have to bundle a, a squad into the gym for half an hour, which you've tried to wrestle off the coaches to try and get, you know, an age group, some gym time, and it's just you in there and potentially maybe a placement student or, a, you know, um, a volunteer who's coming in and shadowing for experience. But naturally, that's that's not good. You know, that's not best practice. We know that's not best practice. Um, and the, you know, the funny thing is, if, if you know, if we played exactly what we've said to directors of, of football clubs, CEOs, you know, financial managers that say, yeah, we understand that. They might not. Hopefully they do understand it. Um, they would say, oh, I didn't realise, but unfortunately, budgets are budgets. Um, you know, but we've all been in those situations where there is sometimes silly money that gets thrown at things. But again, if you can make the case for, well, actually, if we can provide better provision for your academy, you're going to get better provision for your first team, etc. And, and like I say, it snowballs. So um, I think just the, the wider context of like value, placed upon academies um again it's 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 one of those where the youngest age groups typically don't have the value um you know i've been at clubs and i won't name them but you pull your hair out because the under 16s you know are traveling four and a half hours on a cramped little minibus to a national tournament whereas the under 21s are on the first team bus to uh an away fixture 30 minutes down the road you know and it's like yeah, I get that they're they're more works class the business end of the um the academy, but just imagine if you put a team of let's say under thirteens in the first team bus, you know, mm-hmm. and what that would do for them and that experience and that you know that thing. And again, it comes down to budgets. That's what that's what football, you know, unfortunately is driven by a lot of the time. But that's where, like you say, you oh, I could just love to see some clubs be brave and go. Actually, we're going to do things differently. Um, you know, and I hate the fact that. The phrase we've always done it this way does get said still a lot in football, yeah. certainly in the men's game. You know, it's like, well, well why would we give the under 14s, you know, a, a proper coach to travel to a national tournament? Why? Because they've never done that before. Oh, okay. Well, if they've never done that before, then yeah, let's scrap everything else we're doing. You know, let's let's not be innovative. Great, like great. Uh, so you know, it's those sorts of mindsets which need to change, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and hopefully you went will then see some progress. I mean, let's and and then. This is what Nick finished on, didn't he? He said there's doom and gloom about academies of all these reasons we've just said, but there is a lot of good work still going on. So we need to, yeah, we need to acknowledge that there's still problems and things that need to be fixed, but we are still doing a lot of good work as a cohort across the country. But there's, in my opinion, still loads more that could be done, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Let's wrap things up with, um, the obviously, the highlight of the whole conference was the final round table for obvious reasons <laughs> <laughs> but what yeah. were your thoughts because we spoke about this on the last episode that we did with just yourself and I when we were talking about um the future athlete we touched on it a little bit but that was obviously before yeah. Tony Dave and Tom gave their perspective at the conference 
So what were some of your takeaways from what they were saying? Oh, uh, so much. Yeah, you can listen to them, them guys talk for a long time. But um, yeah, they're, they're very level-headed because, you know, they've been there and done that. You know, they've, they've seen the evolution of, of sports science from the early 2000s. Um, and when it changed and they were talking about, you know, players used to drink. Like there was a drinking culture in football and they were there when that was a thing. Um, so to where it is is now, you know, is, is is a huge, huge change. I think, yeah, they were acknowledging that, similar to what we said, really, I think, and I think that was a good good to hear them say it, you know, when when people, you know, of that ilk speak, you listen. Um, so when they were saying that, yes, we're going to have data, yes, we're going to have AI, yes, we're going to have people who are far better on spreadsheets than, than myself, and, and those guys said they, that, you know, they were, um, but this is still a relationships game, and it's still about, forming those relationships with players, forming those relationships with the key stakeholders, the managers, the coaches, the analysts, um, and all that sort of stuff. So um, that was on that side of things. I thought that's great. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, you know, that's exactly what you want to hear almost, that that those soft skills, as we always talk about on the podcast, and that over and over and over again, soft skills are so, so important. Um, so that was great to hear. And I think the other takeaway as well, that like the, and we've had long discussions off, off forums like this and stuff in terms of, players working privately. Um, I thought I was really interested to hear as well because um, you know, these guys have seen first-team players go off and work with their own individuals. We you know, we know players that do it. We, we work with players ourselves. So it's like it does need regulating, like they were saying. You know, it does need regulating. But that's where, again, clubs can be brave. And if they know who their players are going to and they know he's decent, we've worked with him, I know him, he spoke to us, he's really open with his communication, we're all aligned, everything's on, on point, um, then don't fear it as much because that's what I was, I, I was, I was when the first time I talked about it, they were saying like, oh, it's, it's, it almost sounded like it was a bad thing, players going and working with their own private coaches, coaches and technical coaches, I mean that, as well as physical performance coaches, as well as analysts as well, people do have their own private analysts now. Um, chefs, all sorts, you know, going on. Um, and they kind of started to like give the doom and gloom a little bit like that's a really bad thing, it's a really bad thing. And then they, they developed the conversation to more actually it could be a bad thing if it was just sort of any Tom Dick and Harry that they're going to. But once we know who they're going to and the people that they are going to, these you know, private coaches are really open with their lines of communication and we can regulate it and we can speak to them and go and have a sit down with them and just be like, this is what doing and we know this player needs a little bit more are you okay to cover that whatever it might be then it goes this is actually a, a healthy evolution for the industry um because again we can't always give a hundred percent focus that's the beauty of working one-to-one -one with the player you can give them a hundred percent focus but when you've got a squad of 25 30 players that you need to give your focus to and you've only got four or five members of staff maybe in the first team if you're lucky and actually you're you're having to kind of you know saturate uh, desaturate your, your your attention to them all. So that's why players want the best they can get. You know, their their performance is their career on the line at the end of the day. So if they think actually I could be one, two, three percent fitter or one, two, three percent stronger or faster, whatever it might be, I might go to somebody that might have be able to help me with that. And that evolution of that relationship between club and private practitioner, um it was really interesting to hear their views on that so that you can see that there is actually, you know, they think there is a future there, which is good. So, Well, I think it's obvious that there is going to be, isn't there? Like that, that is going to be the way going forward, like players are going to use it. But I fully agree. I know Tony spoke about this before, 
that, I mean, he spoke about the insurance side. Mm. And I'd say now, anyone listening that's working with players that doesn't have the right cover and protection, you're absolutely daft because yeah, I, I don't know why you wouldn't. Like you should be mm. looking into that side of things because you're dealing with players that are their assets to clubs and you should be respectful to the club. You should be respectful to the player to have the right level of cover. Um, yeah. So I know that's something that he's mentioned before and I, I find it astounding that people wouldn't have that in place, but if they don't, yeah. like, it's it's crazy yeah. really. Yeah. But then the other side is um, kind of what you touched on. I think Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Tom was the one who referenced this in terms of having someone that you could you can refer to, so mm. someone that you trust. Because I fully get it. Like if you're at a club and your player's going working with someone and you don't know, there might be a personal trainer and they don't fully understand how the week works for a player. Yeah. They're literally just dealing with that person in front of them. Again, removing all context. They don't know when the games are. They don't understand what the, the program is that is running at the club, injury history, all the things that go into designing the program. If that was the case, that's very, very different to go and seeing someone private who is in communication with the club. They've worked at a club, so they know, they understand how the week goes in the build-up to a game. They understand recovery. They then can focus on the individual, like you've just mentioned before. Um, that I, I just think those two things are very different. So yeah. the more we can we can get onto that second example where you've got these people that are qualified, that are doing good jobs with players, that are transparent and communicating in the right, right way, that for me is what, how it should move going forward. And I think that's what they were kind of getting at in that conversation. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. So I think those two things are, are really important. If you're listening to this and you, you you work with players in the private setting and you don't have the right cover and stuff, look look into it right now because you, you shouldn't be doing yeah. that. that. That shouldn't be happening. And um, these players need to be protected. And essentially, like I said, you're working with an asset in the football club. And then the other side of things, if you are someone that is working with players and you don't understand what they do at a club, you should probably upskill yourself and, and get to know that pretty quickly because it's 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 very important. So I think on that on that conversation, there there's some of the key things that I took away from it. Um and then like you said, the club's having someone to refer out to. I think that's probably going to be a pattern that we see a little bit more because then the trust is is then built. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we are seeing, you know, big names set up a consultancy and be private. And and you know, if you can trust who it is, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna try and steer your players if you're at a club that way. So yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, mate, we've done over forty minutes. Forty minutes of. Um, Trash talk. Well, that could yeah. be in. That's, um, that's not a bad one, actually, yeah. <laughs> we are going to put these some of these examples that we've been talking about before and we'd love to get. We want to get a name for this section of the podcast. We're going to keep these going. Yeah. We're going to put them in every now and again, like we said, reflecting on current events or trends and stuff that are going around in the industry. Hopefully, it's relatively easy listening. And it's, um, well, the, the guests will still be coming. We're still going to keep them coming every week. These are just going to be bonus episodes um, with a nice fancy title, hopefully soon. So, Jordan, yeah. thank you for coming on again, mate. No worries. And I'm sorry we'll, that uh, I bored, bored a few people as well, I'm sure. But no, thank you for listening. If you have stuck with us. Exactly. But you can use this before you go to sleep just to send you that's off. It. And then, yeah, yeah, that's it. Put the kids Perfect. to sleep, put the dog to sleep, wherever you need. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But we'll jump on another one soon. 
Yeah, sounds good. Cheers, mate. See ya. Thank you for listening to episode 263. When we did this, the episode between Jordan and I last time, we weren't quite sure how it was going to go down, whether people were just going to tell us to shut up and get, get more guests on. But we had some great feedback online, people reaching out and saying that they, they liked the sort of relaxed version of the podcast. So we're going to run with it. So we are going to put them in at different times when we see fit. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. And please reach out, let us know if you did as well, because it'd be great to hear the feedback. I think from in terms of the takeaways on this one from the Training Ground Guru Conference, the I just wanted to bring up a couple of points in terms of what Nick Cox was talking about. Each club is very different. They have their own cultures. Um, they're from different parts of the country. And I think some of that has to be really celebrated and even brought into your role. He, he did that brilliantly in, the, in that presentation that he did there. Having elite level developers, something we spoke about in the podcast, really, really important. And I think I can speak for Jordan on this as well. We both believe in that fully. There's a lot of coaches that we see doing amazing work for academy players. And that's by no means to say they can't work with first team players. That's not the case at all. But taking them away from the academy players and putting them into a first team environment, obviously you lose the skill of that practitioner within the academy then. So I think it needs to be rewarded by clubs. So that, that was a big point. Um, developing people, another one in terms of the academy theme that was covered in the Training Ground Guru Conference by people like Per Mertesacker, um, all focused around developing people and giving experiences experiences to some children that might not have had that experience otherwise. So that's amazing to see clubs doing that um, and, and kids coming out of, academy football whether they progress through or whether they do come away from it with different experiences um, so yeah a few really important things raised I think it definitely got us thinking about a few different topics as well and if you were there let us know what you took away from it I'd love to hear your thoughts um, in terms of the speakers or, or the presentations you took away from the most um, because they're just our points of view obviously Jordan was only there on the second day I was there both days but I'd love to hear what you thought of it as well and I'll wrap things up there. We will be back for another episode between Jordan and I. Just keep an eye out on socials because we are going to be putting a bit of a poll out there to get a name for this section of the podcast. So I'd love to see your creativity. Maybe you can come up with a few more creative names than what me and Jordan have done so far. Um, but I'd love to hear from you on that. Also, just finally from me, make sure to go and check out our sponsors. They really do help the podcast. They help us keep it coming every single week. That is Hytro, Rezzel and The Good Prep. And we'll speak to you again next week in episode 264.